This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. So welcome to this episode of the Fertility Podcast, and we have been racing through the whole process of you going into clinic, of you having a collection, an egg transfer, we've discussed the two-week wait. We haven't focused on things not working, um, and it's inevitable that it might not work first time. I was someone who it worked for first time, and I always feel a bit of a fraud trying to convey how it might feel, because it's not my experience. All I do know is from the many conversations I've had with you about how heartbreaking it is and how every loss of a failed cycle is so valid and how important it is for you to give yourself time to acknowledge and to grieve. And I know, Kate, you'll have spoken to numerous people who have had to accept that the cycle hasn't Mm. worked and it's then that period of time in what happens Mm. next, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that's when you almost sit back, regroup, think about what your next plan is you know when do you go for another cycle when do you decide to go for another cycle there's so many decisions to make at that point and I think the importance is never to rush anything especially after you're grieving your loss of your cycle and your loss of that very precious embryo. and some people jump straight back into it you might see on socials people mm. are like they're going again and that might also make you feel might make you feel guilty if you're not ready other people are very kind of confident to say I'm not ready yet need some time out so again as we keep saying it's always what feels right for you now we had frozen embryos and sometimes you do have them, sometimes you don't. And if you've listened to the fertility podcast in the past, you'll know that in my case, we decided to not use our frozen embryos. And that in itself was a huge decision. And I'll share links to that conversation because that wasn't a decision that was made lightly. It was a very involved emotional decision that involved a lot of counseling for me and still something that I can feel the like lump in my chest when I talk about it. However, many people decide to, if they do have frozen embryos, to have further treatment. And that's what we wanted to talk about so that you understand it as a thing, the frozen embryo transfer and what that means. So do you want to explain a bit about that, Kate? Yeah, so you may well be offered a frozen embryo. You might be um, offered just a a fresh cycle. And nowadays, the actual um, success rates with both frozen and fresh are are actually the same and actually there's a little bit of evidence to show that frozen might be even that little bit higher and that's because our way of freezing now with a, um, a term called vitrification is so successful at freezing and then thawing so you've got a really good chance um, with using either a fresh or frozen so if you're offered either don't worry they're both going to be as good as each other um, obviously if you've got frozen then that gives you the ability to bank some to put some in the freezer for a later date which is a great opportunity so hopefully you'll be offered that at some point in your fertility journey and you can rest assured that actually the process of freezing and then thawing is top class. Because we have heard, um, especially with what's gone on with treatment being halted and then starts again, we have heard examples of people who were having their cycle and then um, didn't have the transfer. So they had the embryos um, fertilised but then frozen um, to then wait for that frozen embryo transfer and again I think we want to just assure you that like you've just said Kate that 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 success now we know is is as 
as light. So not to worry if for any reason, sometimes there is a risk of OHSS, isn't there? Or even if it's mild, which we talked about um, in previous episodes, um, it's important to just know that it's, it's, it doesn't lessen your chances of success. Absolutely not. And also there's a you know, thought process that actually with a frozen transfer, your body isn't full of all the medication that would have been in a, in a fresh transfer. So that's all gone. You're actually then embarking on another cycle, if you like, but actually in, in many ways it's more natural because you're not having that stimulation prior. You've got your eggs, they're all ready to go. You've got your embryos. So you're actually popping your embryos back in, in I guess, more of a normal situation. So I think that could be quite reassuring to know that too. Um, so we're going to hear from Amber Woodward, who you might be following on um, on Instagram. She's the Preggers Kitchen. Amber has been a, a guest on the podcast in the past. When, we, when I first started doing the podcast, she was doing book reviews for me. And she's just created like an amazing blog, sharing her journey, sharing recipes. And she has a, a, a child through um, IVF and she was embarking on a frozen embryo transfer, which is why I wanted to get her to, to 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 talk with us um i did talk with amber back in february it's just me and we're now sharing this episode with you in august that's just the way it's gone with how we've been kind of gathering what we're sharing with you so have a listen i'm really looking forward to welcoming back to the podcast an old friend amber who is on instagram as Preggers kitchen she has an amazing blog, The Preggers Kitchen, which I'll put all the details in the show notes. But we've not spoken for yonks. And Amber used to come and chat with me on the, on the podcast. So welcome back, Amber. How are you? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm absolutely fine. Thank you. I, this is my first day of maternity. So <laughs> I'm celebrating by talking about how we got there. Well, exactly. Exactly. We're going to be explaining more about what Amber is here to talk about. So Amber, when we first started talk, one of the reasons was because I had been following you on Instagram and you were very often talking about books that you were reading. You were writing reviews of books and I invited you on to come and review some of the books because you were desperately trying to give away the many books that you had and I've been looking through your progress and I I that bookshelf which we know during a pandemic our bookshelves have become you know, very important in our Zoom calls. That bookshelf still seems very full. So how how have you been getting on giving away these? Because Amber... Yeah, absolutely. When I was trying to get pregnant naturally, I read nearly everything. Um, and, and then was trying to give it away because my husband wanted more space on the shelves for his books about World War II or whatever he plops up there. It sort of stalled a little bit and then it got worse because people then realised I was doing fertility book reviews and started authors starting sending me their books. So it actually increased and I had more books to read and more books on my shelf. So I'm, I'm actually going to start working on giving them away again. I've made some progress, but but not as much as one would hope given how long it's been. Well, watch this space then for Amber's book giveaways because they do come with brilliant reviews. And like I said, I'll put links to the show notes for when we've spoken about previous uh, books. The reason that I wanted to talk with Amber at, at this stage in with you in the Fertility Podcast is since we spoke, which I think was around 2018, maybe 17, Amber has had successful treatments and your little boy Tom is then... Nearly he's three two and a half. Yeah, okay. he's two and a half at the moment. And then as a result of um, Amber's treatment, she had frozen embryos. And then 
has gone on to use the phrase embryos and that's what I want to talk about with Amber because we're going to be really like honing in on what that phrase embryo transfer feels like what it's um what Amber has done because I know from what you've shared that you have put such emphasis on your nutrition you've written a lot about how much you did to improve your fertility through your food yeah I mean when I first started trying for a baby I I thought I was eating quite healthily I would you know not have too many takeaways I'd have brown bread rather than rather than white that sort of thing and it wasn't until I started trying to conceive and and wasn't able to do so that I started really taking nutrition seriously and I, I read a lot of books I mean I think it depends on the reason why you can't conceive as to how much difference nutrition might make um but for me because um I have problems with my insulin and I have uh, the signs of PCOS. My medical record's still a little bit, it says um, unexplained infertility underpinned by PCOS. So goodness knows what that means. Sounds like building a house. (laughs) Yeah, it does. The foundations of PCOS, yeah. (laughs) Nutrition can make a huge difference to your insulin levels, keeping your blood sugar steady. And in turn, that then impacts all your other hormones. Because when your insulin is out of control, it impacts your estrogen and then that impacts your progesterone. And um, it's the same with cortisol and stress. I mean, it just, it can throw your cycles crazy. Um, And I, I noticed I was able to, after a long, long change in my nutrition, which did take probably the best part of a year, I managed to get regular cycles for the first time in my life. Um, and so it really made a, a difference trying naturally, but then I think it makes a huge difference for IVF too. So all books that you read on, on sort of nutrition for fertility sort of all focus on the same things with, you know, protein being really important, try and reduce your toxins, eat more vegetables. And, and it's the same with preparing for IVF books. I mean, there are some specifics about what vitamins, etc., you can take, which we can get into later, but, um, they all have the same kind of guidance on nutrition and it's all about trying to improve egg quality, trying to trying to keep those pesky hormones under control in balance, which for some of us is easy and it just comes naturally. And for others like me, it's incredibly difficult and food has a huge impact and I can see it when I fall off the wagon, which is, um, despite what my Instagram looks like very, very often, um, I can I can tell with my cycles, I can tell how I feel with my energy. It just it makes a massive difference to me. So that's one of my, my main focuses has been always on food. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the kind of nutritional and, and di- dietary advice, we, we've got episodes about that. So I will signpost you to that in the show notes for this because we did one kind of at the start when you're trying naturally and then again when you're preparing for IVF because there is so much and it's so also bespoke to you individually so as well as the focus on your 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 food um and I know that you've 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 documented that in in your blog you also were investigating other other things I tried everything I mean, I love this community, what we learn from one another, but it is really lovely when you kind of get these little insights. And there was something that made me chuckle that you'd written about Chinese medicine that you were looking into and that you, you'd you asked your husband, Joe, um, about it. And, and you'd written, Joe's wariness of Chinese medicine stems from his belief that the herbalist will feed him. Yes, <laughs> that came from a TV show that we'd watched where there was some kind of crime going on. It was a subplot where this herbalist was giving people bleach. And he's absolutely convinced because he's not, he wasn't 100% convinced by 
Eastern medicine in general, he was absolutely convinced that he would be fed bleach. And then when, but I did manage to convince him to go. This was um, before we did our first IVF. We went for a few months. I convinced him to go and his herbs tasted, I mean, they're disgusting anyway. I don't know if you tried them, they're awful. Joe's was um, 10 times worse than mine. And uh, I just told him it was the bleach and you should have seen his face because he's, uh, he, he, but to be fair to him, he necked them down and he was good as gold. And I think I bullied him into that one. But yeah, I, I would try anything. So obviously tried Western medicine in the sense that we've had the test through the hospital before doing IVF. And, and with all fertility treatment, there's just such a long waiting period. You've got months in between things, things that might help or might, you know, help us get pregnant naturally. And so I'm very willing to try Chinese medicine, but it, um, it's hugely expensive. It tastes absolutely vile. And it made my cycles go crazy. But then in it, actually it might have just been that I hadn't stuck at it long enough. I imagine it probably does make them go a bit loopy at the start and then actually some of the benefits come out. But I didn't leave enough space in between starting Chinese medicine and then the start of my IVF. So I needed to stop because they, they thoroughly don't recommend coming into an IVF cycle on any other kind of herbs so I had a, a couple of months off before starting um but yeah it was it was an interesting experience um it it was horrible though <laughs> yeah I do think it's something that I talk about in my coaching where we we talk about just trusting your gut when you're making these decisions and I think um the horribleness of things like the herbs um you know if you've if you've gone for it if you feel like you want to try it and you try it and you loathe it, then don't push yourself back into it. I think you can just, because it's not pleasant and it's one of those things to not beat yourself up on about yeah, if you decide I it's not for you, agree. don't you agree? I think that's, I mean, the the online community for, for the for infertility community is amazing. But one of the things that I find, because I'm, I'm like a puppy dog, I chase after any new thing that I can try because I was just so desperate to have a baby. The one thing about the community is you'll always get somebody who says, oh, haven't you tried X? No matter what you try, there's always a new vitamin or a new treatment or there's always something. And, and the temptation just to chase it is unbelievable. So I, I chased every stick thrown for me with IVF. If anyone suggested anything, I thought it's worth a try. You never know. So I think that's how I ended up going down the Chinese medicine route. And I think, again, with that type of like thought process, nobody can tell you what, what's right for you. They can give you the evidence, which is what we try to do with the podcast. They can tell you what worked for somebody else, but it's only you that can decide. But I think don't drive yourself mad if you do. I think that's such a big part. Like I have conversations with people who drive themselves mad because of what they're not doing um, when they see the post, like you know, you've just said. And I think that's a huge part of it. So in, in terms of your frozen embryo transfer, and you talked about the time frames, and, and I remember hearing you talking about going for your frozen embryo transfer and Tom wasn't that old when you tried the first time no, was he? No he was he'd turned one in the August and actually we were we I think we had our first appointment in the October at the clinic um, we then ran into there's always a there's always seems to be a delay with a, whatever fertility treatment we do but we ran into Christmas and and then the clinic was moving as well so all in all we couldn't get in that year so we um 
our first frozen embryo transfer was the January. So yeah, Tom wasn't all that old. We started thinking about it when he'd turned one. Um, and we'd kind of forgotten a little bit how how all-consuming it is trying again for another child. I mean, we'd had Tom and we'd had a lovely year and then it kind of all flooded back um, about all the treatment, not being able to have a baby, other people announcing <laughs> their second siblings coming along. It's just, um, I'd, I'd forgotten. Yeah, but it has to be this science yeah. experiment yeah, for you, exactly. doesn't it? It has, it has to be this kind of list of procedures that are all calendar listed on the calendar and it's not just a waking up and oh you're pregnant so that preparation for the frozen embryo transfer tell me a bit about that well I did I did it very differently because I've had a a couple of frozen embryo transfers I think I was I'd gone back to work by then and I had Tom and I was super busy and I don't think I really prepared for it in the same way that um I would have I, that I prepared originally for fresh IVF uh, or that I would have liked to have prepared. So my nutrition wasn't great. I wasn't really exercising because I couldn't fit it in. Um, and and so I didn't really, other than mentally trying to prepare myself and, and trying to stay stress-free, I didn't really do much to prepare. Um, and so I kind of went into it feeling a little bit, uh, well, underprepared, but sort of, like I should have put more effort in. I only had two embryos left and we had already decided that we weren't doing any more IVF because it was so emotional for us. Um, that now looking back, I can't believe I put in so little preparation when we only had two chances. And with that in mind, yeah. that stress around the process, I mean, you said you tried to do the work mentally. With it not working and you talked about... Um, when you're preparing to do it again, you were adamant that you weren't going to react to it failing as you had before. And I was curious, I suppose, to talk a bit about that because we've just talked about not beating yourself up along the way with the things you do or don't try. And it's inevitable when something fails with your treatment that you're going to say, what didn't I do and beat yourself up. And, and, And am I right in saying that you did get some feedback from the clinic about what possibly could have happened? Well, Yes, in the sense they said that their feedback was it's just one of those things, which I really liked <laughs> um, because because I was saying, did I not did I not do X? Should I have done Y? What should I do differently next time? And they were just saying Look, that you're healthy. Your womb lining was fine. It wasn't anything that you did. It's, it is just one of those things for unknown reasons around 70 percent don't take and that, that no one's really sure why that is at the moment. Um, which I think was really helpful advice. And I do absolutely think that's true. I mean, I think you can do everything under the sun and it just not work out. And you can be absolutely perfect in your nutrition and, and not get that positive result. The opposite's true as well. You can sort of go on holiday and have some drinks and kind of forget about it all. And then and then it does work in your next cycle. So um, I think we all put a bit too much pressure on ourselves, to be honest. But I did want to go into the next one doing absolutely everything that I could um, to prepare for, for the frozen embryo transfer because it was my last one and because I just wanted, if it didn't work out, to feel like I gave it absolutely my all and I had no regrets. So it was more about me as a person and less about the IVF cycle that I just didn't want any, oh, I wish I had you know, done X, Y and Z and then that 
prey on my mind. I just wanted it to be um, something that I could look back on and know that there was nothing more that I could do. But I don't necessarily, I think there's way too much pressure on all of us to, we put it, we put it on ourselves. It's not the clinics doing it. It's not anyone else to, to be perfect in a run up to a cycle and no one's perfect. Totally agree. And Ever. time frame wise, <laughs> how long then did you leave before the previous frozen embryo transfer to this one? So what I hadn't realised was with IVF, we had to, if it had been negative, we'd have to wait for, I think it was either one or two natural cycles, and then we'd go back again. The clinic said with frozen embryo transfer, you can, you don't need that break because you haven't been stimulated. So in our clinic, you could go again straight away if you wanted to. Um, So we were planning to do that, actually. We had a long discussion, my husband and I, about whether that was a good idea or whether I should have a bit of a break. We decided on a cavalier approach to let's just get it over with. Um, But what actually happened was that we started that cycle in the sense that I had the consultant um, meeting, picked up all the drugs. Um, I was waiting for the drugs to start as COVID began picking up. So that was around, it was March 2020. And um, what happened was uh, a few, I should have started my drugs and I kept calling the clinic asking what was going to happen and they weren't quite sure. And we decided, um, my husband and I, that actually there's the, we didn't think there was much chance of getting through an entire cycle without things being cancelled due to COVID. So we didn't start the down regulation drugs. Um, and then the clinic called a couple of days after I should have started them to say, the regulators just said we can't continue. We're going to have to cancel your cycle. Um, and I think, honestly, it was the best thing that could have happened in the end. I know it didn't feel like it at the time. And I imagine there are a lot of people listening that are still going through huge delays with COVID. And it is really emotional when you've built yourself up to um, have a particular cycle. It was the best thing that could have happened because actually it enforced a... It took the decision out of our hands for timing and it enforced a break of... Uh, when did we go back? It was May, June. So um, actually quite a few months where then I could just focus on getting as healthy as I could, eating as well as I could, exercising, just trying to chill out more because I began working from home. That is so much better for me, I think, than if we'd gone straight into that cycle. So uh, although it didn't feel like at the time, COVID was was very beneficial. So everything the regulator said, IVF couldn't go ahead. And we were just sort of in an unknown place of waiting to hear when clinics would start up again. Um, which for us was uh, just before, the day before my birthday, I saw them pop up. I was checking every day on the Human Fertilisation and Embryology Authority's website, which listed the, the clinics that were coming back on. And it was the day before my birthday, they came back on at the end of May. And I was just the best present I could have wished for. <laughs> so in terms of preparing then and in terms of what it actually involves, because obviously there's the there's the process of taking the drugs to kind of help with your womb lining when you when you're starting for a frozen embryo transfer. How long is that for? Well, it was a much quicker cycle. So COVID changed the way that our clinic did it originally. So in my January failed cycle, we did down regulations for one month and then we did um the estrogen, which is preparing for your womb lining for, I think it was three weeks, three to four weeks after that. Um, then you'd have a couple of scans and then 
the transfer and progesterone. Um, with COVID, they didn't do any down regulating at all because they wanted to limit the amount of time you go to the clinic for. And so it was it was super quick. Um, so what happened was I, I called them on the first day of my cycle and they posted me the prescription for estrogen, which is what in, increases your womb lining. I think I was on it for three weeks. Then they checked my womb lining and then... It was something like four days later I had the transfer and then two weeks later I had the, the pregnancy test result. So it was five weeks in total, which which was just incredibly quick from phone call to pregnancy test in comparison to my other cycles. So it was a bit of a shocker, actually. Because we get very good at waiting when going through yeah, treatment. Yeah. Add a pandemic into the mix. I mean, yes, hugely frustrating yeah. for people who are still waiting for the next stage yet our practice at waiting with all of this puts us in a very good place um, in terms of having the treatment. I know that in that period before testing, you'd shared about looking at kind of alternative life plans around whether it worked or didn't work. Just talk to me a bit about that, because obviously we, we, we talked before about how the previous failed cycle had had such an impact on you. And you do have to be, you know, so realistic with this because you're so aware, as with a pregnancy that comes naturally. Uh, but there's just so much more focus on it, isn't there, because of what you've been through. How was that kind of process of, of, of weighing it up when you really think to, you know, how you felt? You have to be in the right space to feel like you are ready to move on from not trying anymore and it was our last embryo and we decided after our failed frozen cycle that it was just too emotional to go back through having more IVF but it's easy to do that hypothetically we'd said hypothetically we're not doing we're not doing anymore whether we would have felt differently if this had been the next one had also been a negative and we still desperately wanted children, maybe we would have changed our minds, I'm not really sure. Um, but in theory, we weren't going to do any more, um, mainly because of the emotional side. Also, it's very, very expensive. I mean, um, we didn't have, obviously, NHS payments for, for the second lot. And there was discussions about just being able to put it behind us and, and move on and focus on Tom focus on things that you put your life on hold when you're going through fertility treatment so much. So I wasn't changing jobs just in case I needed to qualify for maternity leave. And um, it just so many things where we live, what we do was all sort of dependent on whether we had children and how many children we have. And at some point we just needed to move on. And for us, it had been six years since we'd started trying for Tom and we obviously had a child so it it's not as different I suppose for us having one or two versus having none and one but there was a lot of discussion about the amount of IVF do we do we actually spend that on Tom or do we spend it on a new kitchen because at least you get if you buy a new kitchen there's a hundred percent chance you're going to get a kitchen let's go for IVF there's only a 30 percent chance you'll get a baby at the end of it and that's all your money gone but would we be stood in our lovely new kitchen desperately wanting a child? But then the alternative is we might have gone through a very emotional extra year, still not had a child and still have our crappy kitchen. So it was all of these kind of discussions about what we wanted to do. And I think we had decided that we would stop trying if it if it didn't work out. Do you think that having that honest and open conversation about 
it going both ways help? Yeah, I think it helped. And I think we had assumed it would it would go it would be a negative because we'd just we'd just come out of a negative cycle. Um I think going into the first frozen embryo transfer, we had assumed because Tom had worked out, I think there was this assumption that well IVF can work for us. Maybe we're one of the lucky ones, maybe it will work for us again. And I think that was a real knock to our confidence that the next frozen cycle didn't work. And I mean, the odds were against it working because they just are. Um, but for some reason, we kind of thought that maybe it would work. <laughs> and then and then going into the next frozen embryo cycle, we assumed it hadn't, wouldn't work because the last one didn't. And the embryo quality was worse than the one that hadn't worked and so we we just we had very open and honest conversations about both ways I think that does help you know we'd also shared about that point of the clinic kind of defrosting the embryo and then you waiting to find out if it's viable I mean these different steps within even a frozen embryo transfer there's still that patience and that waiting and that angst about it all isn't there there? is absolutely and you kind of forget because everyone who goes through a frozen embryo transfer is obviously been through IVF or some kind of treatment to get the embryos in the first place and uh, you forget that there's every step so so the initial one is you're obviously taking estrogen to to plump up your womb lining you go to the scan you think oh goodness what if it's only a couple of millimeters what if they cancel this cycle because it's not enough and then once you've got over that hurdle then there's the oh what if my embryo doesn't make it through the thaw and I think it's really good odds. It's something like 80 to 90% do, but you, you're always convincing yourself you're in the bottom 10 or 20%. And my clinic took, for some reason, I don't, they, they said they were going to defrost it about um, nine o'clock in the morning and they didn't call me till mid-afternoon. And so I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking it must have, you know, maybe they're desperately trying to to revive it and something's gone wrong. But no, I was just you know, they probably had a cup of tea and their lunch break and didn't really think about the fact. Oh, we'll call her after. Yeah, yeah, we'll call her after. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and with that in mind, were you, des- I mean, were you going down rabbit holes on Dr. Google of waiting to hear or what, what kind of mindset were you in? I said going into it uh, that I would be calm. I know what it's like to have a successful cycle and a failed cycle you know, whatever will be, will be. I'm going to be trying, try and be zen about it all. And I was not zen at all. Um, my worst rabbit hole, and I like, I've dipped down a few, but my worst one was around embryo quality, which I obsessed with throughout the cycle. And um, a top tip would be not to do, not to do that because um, what happened? I mean, there there are different categorizations in different clinics, but I had a um, Tom was a a really really good embryo he was a a 5AA in our kind of clinics chat and then our frozen one that didn't work was a 4AB so it's sort of still a good embryo the last one left was sort of it was it was good enough to freeze obviously but only just so it was a 3BC and I'd asked the I'd asked the consultant oh what's the what's the you know rankings of the embryo and he told me very clearly do not get obsessed with this it doesn't matter if they're good enough to freeze they're good enough to make a baby don't even think about it but he did give me the letters and I wish he hadn't because he was absolutely right and 
um, that was my worst rabbit hole. Um, because the odds do go down with, with the poorer quality. But he said, our consultant said to us, there's so much that we don't understand about embryos. And all they're basing it on is what it looks like under a microscope and nothing else. They don't know anything else about it. It's just how, how pretty it is under a microscope. And also it's an art form. So different embryologists would rank them differently. Um, but it's so easy to get obsessed with it, especially when you're going through a frozen and you you know the kind of markings of all the embryos you've got left. And you, it's hard to think of why why one that was a better quality didn't work, why one of a poorer quality would. And so that was on my mind the entire cycle. Um, and and I just got obsessed with it. And, and obviously it, it, it's not right because this one did work out and the higher quality T embryo didn't. And um, one thing I would really recommend anyone listening who's going through through a frozen cycle is anything that's good enough to be frozen is good enough to make a baby. And we have no idea what quality natural embryos are because obviously they never looked at under the microscope. Our, our consultant said chances are a lot of natural pregnancies are, are much, much um, lower quality embryos than the ones we see in IVF. Um, because what they're actually looking for is if it's if good enough to survive a thaw, not whether it's good enough to make a baby. So, um, yeah, I it said I'd be totally zen, and I spent about 178 hours Googling different stats for different <laughs> rankings of embryos and driving myself insane. Um, and that's why I thought it wouldn't survive the thaw, <laughs> because I thought it was a poor quality, and it was absolutely fine. Well, thank you for spelling it out, because I had a very similar conversation with one of my coaching clients just the other day who was doing exactly what you've said. She was looking on forums about what grade her embryos that were frozen were, and I'm so pleased that you've said that, and I hope that if you're listening and you've been tempted or you've done it, that you'll stop and stop driving yourself mad. Finally, Amber, for, for anyone listening who is at this point with a frozen embryo transfer what because you've written a lot about hindsight you know and what you've learned and you've been amazing at answering people's questions and uh, as I keep saying I will put all the details for Amber's blog because there's so much there and, and I know it's been a real passion in the time I've known you you know it's just gone from strength to strength and you've put so much time into it and there's so much of your own personal experiences there with this particular part of what we're not going to call journey, because I did read the bit where you were like, I hate the word journey. And I was looking at your your, your options because I use it because I can't find another word. You had story, experience and struggle as potential I, yeah. alternatives. I use struggle too. And I use experience. And I think, so they all have a place, but I know what you mean about the word journey. It's not the best, is it? It's not like, so. it's not one that we choose to go on. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely not. It feels like everyone else has already got to the destination and I'm parked up at the start. That's what I make that's what makes me think of journey. Thank you. And I also think a journey is one that you know you're quite excited about most yeah. of the time, whereas this isn't necessarily one that creates those types of feelings, is it? <laughs> definitely not. So last no. kind of thoughts on what wisdom you'd part. You'd refer to your um infertiversary. How did you say it? Infertiliversary. Infer- <laughs> Yeah. Infertiliversary, I mean, just just <laughs> genius. So, yeah, as you'd marked your infertiliversary, I'm not sure there's a card for that just yet, is there? <laughs> it's better written than spoken, <laughs> isn't it? It's a tricky one. <laughs> so your final your final words of wisdom from your experience would, would be? If it's not too, too bad, is to, to recommend, I, I still absolutely love the book, It Starts With The Egg, which is all about preparing for IVF and the 
um, the second edition has a whole chapter. It's quite a short chapter. It's only eight pages or so, but on preparing for frozen embryo transfer. And I, I read that and I copied all the vitamin recommendations um, from that basically. And, and I, I really do think it helped. I also think that just taking time out for you and emptying your calendar while you're going through frozen embryo transfers, a good idea. So I, I dropped my hobbies and, and, and still nice seeing people and, and doing things. But I would say don't put any pressure on yourself to to do anything throughout that. Well, it might even be as quick as five weeks if it was anything like mine. Um, because it's just nice to just focus on what you're doing, what you're going through. And you never know how tired you're going to be. And, and it's incredibly emotional. And um, no matter how many times I, <laughs> I went through it, three or four if you cancel the frozen cycle and it's still really stressful every time even though you know what's coming up and you know what the emotions are going to be so I think give yourself a break and then the other tip is put google away google has no no good place don't don't google anything (laughs) um easier said than done and not advice that I followed but um it's just bad things happen there dragons lie there just pop away your phone um and just wishing everybody the best of luck. Before I find out what Kate thought of Amber's conversation, I just wanted to share with you a post that I read on Amber's Instagram because I just thought it was lovely. So just indulge me a sec whilst I read it to you because it's quite a long one. She said, IVF still amazes me that an embryo can be paused in time, defrosted two years later and turned into a human is incredible. It blows my mind that my two IVF babies are technically twins, conceived at exactly the same time, but separated by years. And seeing Millie from under a microscope on a screen at five days gestation, only IVF enables that. A different era and I'd be barren, a different country and I couldn't afford it, a different culture or religion and it may not be acceptable in The Handmaid's Tale and I'd be sent to the colonies. I rarely feature my little ones on this account because I know from personal experience that baby pictures can be triggering and I'm so sorry if that is the case, but I wanted to share a positive message about embryo quality and IVF roulette. Millie was graded a 3BC, which for anyone not initiated into the weird world of IVF means she wasn't a looker under the microscope, considered lower quality. I therefore had little hope of it working, especially after a failed 4AB transfer. But as the clinic said, an embryo worth freezing is a good embryo, so don't get caught up in the numbers. I wish I hadn't ever been told her grading. IVF is a game of luck. You spin the wheel of reproduction and keep your fingers crossed. And it is a game of winner takes all. You either end up with a baby or you don't. No second prizes. It doesn't fix the reason you're struggling. It doesn't make you healthier or improve your chances of conceiving naturally like some other medical procedures. It's a huge emotional and financial commitment and it either works or it doesn't. And that's it. And if it doesn't work, it wasn't something you did or didn't do or ate or thought. It wasn't because you skipped acupuncture or the Lucky Mackey D's fries or thoughtlessly snuggled too close to a hot water bottle. It's just one of those really shitty things and it's nobody's fault, especially not yours. So approach it like Trump's term in office and <laughs> deny all responsibility. For everyone going through IVF or any other path of parenthood, in the words of my grandma, best of luck, duck. Oh, that's what a lovely post. Love that. That's brilliant. It's a lovely post. Yeah. And what she said about grading what do you think so true it's it's so true I think we get caught up in the numbers whether it's the number of eggs you get the number of embryos that get to blastocyst you know your grading numbers and I I read some paper somewhere the other day about how the fact that actually even the lower grade embryos can still become your baby Um, and I think there's this tendency just to focus on the higher grade 
but actually you could be potentially not putting back a, a, an embryo and exactly the case in, in in Amber's case that actually was able to become a daughter which is incredible. I think um, again that's the reason that we've shared this episode and hopefully hearing what Amber shared um, because I'd spoken to her before Millie was born was a good explanation of the process so as always let us know what you think and before we let you go again we're going to hear from our resident expert James Nicopoulos. Ask the expert. 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 My husband and I have been trying to conceive for a long time but have received little support on the NHS as doctors are constantly saying I'm still young I'm 27. My husband has poor sperm quality, mainly in motility and slightly lower count. He has a small varicocele and his testosterone is normal but on the lower end. We are waiting for him to have a procedure to help with the varicocele and for DNA testing, but it doesn't help with quality and count. Is there anything you would suggest or what would happen next? Yeah, I think it is really difficult because on the one hand, people are absolutely right to be reassuring this lady that she's young, so the chances of them ending up with a family is fantastic. On the other hand, it doesn't change the fact for her, you know, physically, emotionally, you know, it's, it's, it's not happening still. I think it is important that, you know, we know that men with varicoceles are less likely to get their partners pregnant naturally. Whether it's cause and effect is less certain. We know that having a varicocele can worsen sperm DNA levels. And there's increasing data now that suggests removing the varicocele could improve outcomes and can improve sperm DNA. So the first thing is it's really sensible to get that varicocele sorted out. If you are doing a sperm DNA baseline, I think that the second thing would normally happen is between three and six months later, you'd repeat the sperm DNA. And if it was high, if it was high to start off with and it improves, that's a you know, big reassurance and hopefully you would have conceived naturally by then. Clearly, at some point during this process, you, you make a decision that we've been trying long enough now and I don't know how long they've been trying. And if the sperm numbers remain suboptimal, then really... You know, you should be eligible for NHS treatment because you have got a clear reason why this isn't happening. Ask the expert. 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 So as always, we love hearing from you. We'd love it if you would be happy to review this podcast. You can do it in your favourite podcast app. Apple is actually the easiest one. But it just makes sure that other people who are thinking about what they're going to listen to think, OK, yeah, someone's bothered to review this podcast recently rather than however long ago and you're always so good at sending us messages on our socials um if you just take the time right now get your phone um and just do it on a review then it just shows up in apple and it's it's just really great for other people to know that this is worth their ear holes because there's so much for people to listen to and we want to um remind them that we're worth it too because we're worth it. It also means that more people are going to see it. So if we put more reviews on, more people are going to see the podcast. Be sure to follow us on our socials. I'm at Fertility Poddy. And I'm at Your Fertility Journey. And you can be safe in the knowledge that Brew at Two will be happening this week. Yay. So make sure you join us on Thursday at two on the Fertility Poddy Instagram channel. You can let us know your questions beforehand. You can either pop us a DM or you can email info at fertilitypodcast.com. Or one more thing for you to do if you'd like, you can join the Fertility Podcast facebook group which i have to say because kate and i have both had a bit of time off and um you've just been amazing at answering one another's questions if we're not able to always um be checking up on things it's a lovely warm friendly community where there's loads of, of helpful chat going on and we're always trying to kind of ensure that it's not getting like out of hand and it's credible you know we'll always guide you to to, to good experts that we know or previous podcast episodes so it's worth you checking out Thank you, as always, for your support. And until the next time. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.